Jagger. Many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores! Hi, everybody, and welcome to podcast number two of The Outsiders with Bryn Griffiths. That's me and Robin Brownlee. That's you. How are you doing today? I'm excellent, man. How are you? Great. Lots of great positive feedback on podcast one. Can't thank everybody enough for that. Yeah, thank you for uh, thank you, Uncle Bob and Auntie uh, Emma for uh, writing in. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, always nice to hear from the relatives. And also, uh, you can email us. All you have to do is just send us an email to mightymouth at shaw.ca. Had a few emails too, which is really kind of nice. Okay, let's get right into the show. Boy, oh boy, that Andrew Luck story on the weekend. Twice, and it came across on my mobile device twice on Saturday afternoon. I had to, the first time I went, what? What the hell? And then it came down around another 30 or 45 seconds later. I went, wow, I, I can't believe it. Like, there's so many reasons why you would have a shocking, I guess, uh, disbelief to the story when it's this close to the start of the season. What was your take on that? Well, first of all, I just think uh, – the team bungled the way this was handled right from the start. They knew for several days, if not a week or so ahead of time, that this was going to happen. It shouldn't have been left to unfold like it did and have Andrew Luck, who gave everything he had to the franchise for the time he was there, to be walking off the field being booed by the crowd. Uh, you know, And actually, some teammates wondering what the heck was going on. Andrew Luck had every right to make that decision health and life after football over money because he's got enough of it. And I applaud him. He did what he thinks is right for him. And 10 years from now, when the crowd has long faded and he's been forgotten by some people, Andrew Luck needs to live his life. And you cannot do that without your health. So walk away when you feel is right. Somebody made a comment at the time. Well, some people are PO'd because it screwed up their, I think as they put it, their shitty fantasy league oh, picks. Oh, I know. I, I, you know what? Yeah. Too bad. Andrew Luck uh, walked away when he thought it was time, and uh, he makes that call. How many times have you and I talked to athletes where in the back of their head, and they might just mention it to you in passing about the fact, and these are guys usually in their early 30s, especially hockey players, where they go, at some point you think to yourself, I'd like to be able to walk without a cane when I'm 40 or 50. I'd like to be able to lift my kids or take my kids out and maybe throw the football around that little field across the street from the house where we live. And then the other one is, especially in, in the world of concussions that we live in now and head injuries, I'd like to be able to remember my kid's name when I hit 50. I totally get this. And I think anybody who's looking at it any differently, I think it's really selfish. I think that this guy didn't want to go through anymore. He'd been talking, according to reports. He This calf injury that popped up happened in the spring, and it has been nagging him all summer. And he started to talk briefly about whether or not he should take maybe half the season off. Well, he's already done enough of that over the last four years, missed a whole season. So at some point, you got to go, you know what? I just don't think I got any more left in the, in the, in the tank. 
I don't blame him for making this decision at all. Like I said, Bryn, and unfortunately, I know too many of the kind of athletes you're talking about who haven't been able to walk away on their terms. They've had to be pushed out the door or a catastrophic injury uh, has ended their career. He gets to make that call. End of story. Fans always say, yeah, but he owes us. No, he doesn't owe anything. No. What he's, he's, already, he's already performed for you. You paid your, your ticket price for every game or you paid your season ticket price. Hey, if he thinks it's time to go away, I, I applaud him for that. And uh, so to watch him being booed as he walked off the field the other day, I just, I don't get that. I don't understand it. You might as well have thrown bottles at him if that was going to be the case. And I, yeah, okay, the timing isn't right, but the football club's been, the football club didn't know until a week earlier that he was completely done. But they knew that he wasn't right months earlier. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not buying that. Oh, it's so close to the start of the NFL season thing. You got you got to make the tough decision when it's time to make the tough decision. And if it's right now, so be it. Lots of NFL talk coming up over the next few months as well. And of course, the season's about ready to kick things off. A little breaking news today as we were about to sit down here in the studio, and that is Winnipeg Blue Bomber running back. And what a great year this Canadian is having. Andrew Harris suspended. Two games, tested positive for a banned substance. I, uh, I I was sitting here in the studio. We were just chatting. The uh, the bulletin popped up, and I went, oh, my God, you got to be kidding. You a little surprised by that? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, this is significant uh, for the Blue Bombers. I mean, the Blue Bombers uh, without Andrew Harris and Matt Nichols for the foreseeable future, they may need – that uh, cushy lead they've built uh, atop the West Division. And I'm surprised uh, just by the news. I don't know Andrew Harris. I don't know if we're talking about performance enhancing, just a banned substance, a recreational drug, but two games is two games. And that's without your uh, uh, star running back and your uh, quarterback. The Bombers are hurting right now. Well, this story's obviously going to develop. I see PED right now here on my screen. So it's a performance enhancing drug. But like I said, this is going to play out. The one thing that's been really amazing to me, the West is kind of a little bit up for grabs in my opinion because obviously you have the quarterbacking situation, although it didn't seem to hurt the Winnipeg Blue Bombers against the Edmonton Eskimos last week. But the Bombers seem to have these little challenges come their way right now as far as I'm concerned. They're the best team in the Western Conference. you got the Calgary Stampeders who are playing very fine football without their number one quarterback. They're hanging in there. And uh, the Edmonton Eskimos are also surprising a lot of people. However, you start taking a look at the teams that they've beaten, and they're going into three big games now, back-to-back with the Calgary Stampeders, home-and-home, and and then the Hamilton Tiger Cats. You're going to learn about a lot, a lot about the Edmonton Eskimos over the next three games, whether or not they're contenders or pretenders, in my opinion. I don't disagree, but I'll tell you what, the Eskimos – some people say they haven't beaten anybody, and if you look uh, at the schedule so far, not to disrespect uh, any teams, uh, I can see where that sentiment comes from. I tell you what, uh, you know, big struggler with Winnipeg taking over for Matt Nichols. He's clearly a great athlete. If he learns to throw the ball, he'll be something. But I tell you what, struggler or not, you've got to win that game 
uh, if you're the Eskimos. That you you set up this next stretch with a win. Now you got a loss. There's a lot of pressure, and you're not going to face the Stamps. Uh, there's no easy money on the table here. Uh, Arbuckle has played very well yeah. in the absence of Bo Levi Mitchell. So I agree with this next three-game stretch, but I think they're going into it stumbling, not running. I, I tend to agree. And the other thing, too, they had a chance. They had a chance with a home game against Winnipeg to win the seasonal series and gassed it. So there's that. Then we take a look at what's going on with the BC Lions and Mike Riley. I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to hang in there. Every time I – and, you know, I, it was tough to watch that game the other day. It was 3-3 at the half between the Tiger Cats and the BC Lions. Hardly a CFL game in my estimation. But every time I turned to look at the TV, Mike Riley was picking himself up that really hard turf at uh, at the stadium in, in Vancouver. I just don't know if he's going to make it to the end of the season with the beating he's taken. You know what? I, I tweeted out uh, uh, just the other day – uh, you know, I don't see, you talked about the season. I said, if he keeps taking this kind of beating, Bryn, he's not going to finish this contract. I mean, he may not finish the season. You're right. Seven sacks in that last game. Wow. I mean, you could put turnstiles there in place of those <laughs> offensive linemen and do a better job. They're not good enough up front. That's obvious. They're up. I think they're up at forty-three sacks allowed now. That's ridiculous. What has? What are the Eskimos at? Did, did Harris get sacked last time? Well, a couple times he threw the football away at the last second. They were at three. Yes. So unless they're still at three, maybe there's one I missed. We're talking Edmonton Eskimos have allowed three sacks. BC Lions are at forty-three. You wonder if Mike Riley sits there going. Where was this last year in Edmonton? Yeah, exactly. It's been an absolute shit kicking. I just and you know what? He's such a great guy. Personally, you hate to see it, but hey, he made the choice. He took the cash. He did the move. So it's kind of on him. Also, this past weekend, touchdown Atlantic. I, I'm a firm believer. It's time to get that tenth franchise in the Canadian Football League. And if they get around to building a stadium in Halifax, then I, this, as far as I'm concerned, this is going to get a green light real fast. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for these games out in the Maritimes. They've had three or four of them now, I believe. But I don't know the first time we heard the the uh, a moniker the you know the Atlantic Schooners, but it's been a decade or so. I'm with you. I want to see that tenth team. You know what? It's going to be a regional team. We all know uh, here in the land of the Eskimos. We sometimes look at disdain with the uh, Green Riders from the province next door. But I tell you what, that's a provincial team if ever there was one. And for anybody doubting uh, that it could be supported uh, in the Maritimes, I didn't know this till I looked it up. Halifax has a larger metro population than Regina does. Now, they may not have a Saskatoon right nearby, but the fact is that'll be a regional team. I think it's a fit but you need that stadium. And they're talking about, is it 2021 when they get going? Until it's done, uh, I won't believe it. But whether they start off in Moncton is maybe a possibility where the game was played on the weekend and then move to Halifax where the stadium is built. You don't, we talked about this last week, Bryn. I don't know that you, you don't need a 50,000 uh, seat park out there. No. You build them a 30,000 seat park uh, in Halifax, and they'll be good to go. And, you know, you've got Fredericton, you've got St. John, 
You've got Moncton. You've got Halifax. I, I'm totally convinced they can support it. So thumbs up from us. A job well done this past weekend with Touchdown Atlantic. Okay, over to hockey news. Oh, boy. You know what? If you're going to be at a party and there's cocaine on the table, I don't know if that's a good idea to be hanging around there because now people have these these mobile devices like the one I have over here where you can just take pictures and video. And what was Kuznetsov thinking? <laughs> well, like, seriously. I don't want to go all church lady on Kuznetsov here. <laughs> uh, you know, with these, but I tell you what, when uh, there's a video circulating of you sitting near a table uh, with what appears to be uh, dope on it, cocaine, uh, that's one thing. You get busted uh, a little bit later. I think the test wasn't long after that actual tape came out, and now you're suspended four years by the uh, IIHF for cocaine use. The thing about this, moral judgments aside, he came out and denied it up and down. His credibility goes in the crapper right there. Not that... You or I or anybody else wouldn't tell a fib when confronted with something that we obviously would feel uncomfortable with, but he came out and talked to the fans and made a statement, no, I don't do drugs and blah, blah, blah. Well, Evgeny, uh, your credibility is in the crapper. Got to talk about a couple other quick little things here. Patrick Maroon signs in Tampa Bay, only $800,000. Now, granted, he's got a chance to go back-to-back on Stanley Cup championships if the Lightning get it together. But here's a guy who was, well, he played a huge role in the St. Louis Blues through the playoffs, scored, might be even considered the biggest goal ever in game seven of the one series, but $800,000. Wow. 800 or 900? Uh, Under a million. I, 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 I saw a story this morning that suggested that there were a couple of little bonuses in okay. there as well. But you know what? It's still under a million dollars for Patrick Maroon. You know, it's funny. I've seen teams not take a player, not not you know draft a player because they feel they're too small up front already, or maybe they feel, as in the case with the Oilers, that they were a little bit slow. Uh, we were talking about the lineup that had uh, Milan Lucic in it. Well, he's no longer there. I wasn't stumpy necessarily for a mar- maroon return to Edmonton. Get good players, big or small, tough or skilled, just get good players. Pat Maroon has been getting results. That's a bargain right there. Um, He's still not an old guy. Uh, He hasn't been busted up uh, to no end. Uh, That's a good signing. Still a lot of free agents to be signed, too. It's going to be an interesting month of September as we head into NHL training camps, and we'll be all over that coming up in a few weeks as well. And one final hockey note, uh, Billy Guerin is the new general manager in Minnesota with the Wild. Uh, am I surprised? Not at all. The, when I ran into Billy G, who was a great guy to begin with, at the draft, it was the Connor McDavid draft out in Fort Lauderdale, and we had a coffee with one another. And uh, the, uh, the one thing that I, I was kind of fascinated by was talking to everybody around him with the Pittsburgh organization. And they all said, he's got the tools, he's got the skill set, he's got the personality to be able to handle becoming a general manager. And with any good GM in the NHL, if you surround yourself with the right people, good things can happen. I have no doubt that Billy Guerin's going to be successful. He's paid his dues as an organizational guy, as an assistant GM in Pittsburgh. The thing about Billy Guerin for me is this. We can talk about what he may or may not do, and that's going to unfold in front of us. I see Billy Guerin uh, signing as GM 
I just get a smile. Whether it was cracking jokes with that kid at the draft table, I don't know if you ever saw that oh, clip. Oh, that's where, classic. Yeah. Billy Garrett on the road was a delight to cover. He took, for some reason, and I don't remember the genesis of it, he took to buying me sausages on the road. We'd be at a... <laughs> We'd be at breakfast, and all of a sudden, an order of sauce. I think he was making fun of the out-of-shape beat writers. <laughs> so whether I had a plate full of pancakes already or not, or scrambled eggs or whatever I was filling my face with at the time, almost every time we made a stop in a, a city on the road, sausages would show up. And there would be Billy Garen all always sitting with his running mate, Doug Waite, smirking, laughing, giving me the little wave. Billy Guerin has got a wicked sense of humor. He's going to be a lot of fun because I tell you what, with that franchise, we're talking about the change being made in many ways because the fellow running the show until they hired Billy Guerin, it wasn't much fun working for that dude. Tough Paul Fenton run, man. He only got a year. Yep. It was not a lot of fun there in Minnesota. We'll see how that one works out. Big weekend for Jerome McGinley. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show. It was huge for Jerome. You and I... Uh, we've dealt plenty with Jerome and we'll get to that. Another guy that we watched in junior hockey is Theron Fleury and Theo's career. Wow. Theo's career and Theo on and off the ice. I don't even know where you start with that. We don't have to go all the way back, but you know, the, I'm very proud of, of how he was able to get things turned around, but it, it was, it took a lot of work, you know, people and it was tough to watch. Yeah. And You've known Theo a long time, Brennan, and so have I. Uh, since his junior days, I came to uh, the Edmonton Journal at the same time he joined the Calgary Flames back in 89. Uh, Theo Fleury's story is one of the most painful you could ever read. People have seen it. Um, they've read it, you know, uh, perhaps in one of his uh, books uh, on TV, the thing about Theo, though, is he has climbed out of that rubble uh, events that could have and have knocked people sideways, knocked them flat, and they've never been able to get up and turned him into a real advocate for people fighting uh, addiction issues, uh, sexual abuse, abuse issues, mental health issues. Theo Fleury, for all he accomplished on the ice, and he accomplished a lot, yeah. has made it his life's calling to help other people. And to me, it's as inspirational a story as you can get. And he, <laughs> there are a lot of people that love him, a lot of people that don't love him. It's as simple as that. There's no real middle ground when it comes to Theo. People either just, just think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread or have got absolutely no time for him. And you know who doesn't care? Theo. He just goes and does his thing. And he's done some great work here in the last few years in terms of helping the cause out a little bit. And he's going to share some of that story with us. Also, there's lots of other hockey stuff we can talk to him about. And I'm looking forward to this. I'm going to ask him, first of all, we will be talking about, I mean, obviously where he came from and where he's going now. Uh, his books, uh, Playing with Fire and Conversations with a Rattlesnake, you know, those are putting into words for people to see uh, where he's been and gives us a clue of where he's going. 
but also, hey, what about the Hall of Fame? I was I was back and forth on Twitter uh, not long ago on the last bout. Theo deserves to get in. I had a lot of people saying, yeah, he was a great hockey player, but there was always a but. Of course, we're sitting here in the middle of uh, Edmonton Oilers country. But Theo Fleury was a memorable player. Um, his life since he got out of hockey is even more compelling uh, than his life in hockey, and that's saying something. I don't care about the life away from the game. What he did on the ice, those numbers, that's Hockey Hall of Fame stuff. For me, everybody's got a different opinion. We've heard them all, Robin, you and I. But to me, he, sh- he should be in there. However, he's rankled a lot of people. And for some reason, I think that that's what's keeping him out. And it's he's not the first to fall into that category. And he won't be the last. But, well, we can touch on that a little bit too. Imagine being... Five foot six in the era he played in. Five nine in the media directory. Yeah, well, that's a damn lie, and we yeah, know that's it. That's what I thought. I've too. stood beside beside Theo enough times to know there's He's no not five, five nine. nine. <laughs> to a comp to put up the numbers he did to win a Stanley Cup. You know, I care about. I mean, hey, if if the Hall of Fame depended on everybody being a choir boy, there'd be some guys who are in there now who, who wouldn't be in there. Absolutely. It's on the ice. What did you do? Uh, and as a player, I think Theo deserves to be, and we'll ask him about that. Hey, before we go, just uh, one subtle reminder, and you know what it is? Here's Fleury, looking for his first goal of the series. Scores! You're a, yeah. bas- you're a bastard, you know. People uh, well, are- but you know what, though? It's... Uh, I- I'm curious to know. I, I've never asked him what he thought his biggest goal was. We'll get to that when we get to be- Theo Fleury is going to be joining us next, so keep it right here. Pro-Am Sports is Edmonton's home for sports and entertainment memorabilia. Featuring unique collectibles and apparel, we've got you and your fan cave covered. Pro-Am Sports, located in Edmonton at 12728 St. Albert Trail and proamsports.ca. Theron Fleury joining us on the Outsiders. How you doing today? Doing great. Excellent. Are you on the golf course? Are you just sitting at home, relaxing with a coffee? What are you doing in Calgary today? Well, after this interview, I have to race to Cottonwood, which is my home golf course, to play in the Italian Open today. So. <laughs> the, the Italian Open. What is that? <laughs> uh, it's just a bunch of um, Italian businessmen who get together every year and put on a great tournament for uh, you know a bunch of worthy causes. That's fantastic. I think you've got another event there later this week too, don't you? Yeah, we have our uh, Breaking Free Foundation golf tournament at Cottonwood as well, so uh, we're we're excited about that as well. Man, you're a busy guy. I don't know how many rounds of golf you play in a year and how many uh, speaking engagements you've got, but I imagine the calendar's pretty full these days, isn't it? Well, between speaking and playing golf, those are basically, you know, and spending time with my kids. That's probably the three things that, uh, you know, uh, take up most of my time. Can you put a number on that? Uh, Let's see. I think I did 80 speaking engagements last year. Wow. Uh, I'm approaching 90 rounds of golf uh, this summer, (laughs) and uh, we're all – because I work in the field of trauma, mental health, and addiction, and I suffer with my own, uh, you know, mental health issues, uh, you know, golf for me has become, uh, you know, a great way for me to meditate, 
because I just go out there and the only thing I have to think about is hitting the golf ball in the middle of the club face every time. And uh, it's very cathartic. And, uh, you know, two of my boys are really good uh, golfers. And so, and then my dad lives in High River now. So, you know, we pretty much have a foursome that goes out every day after the boys get off work. It's interesting you'd mentioned that, Theo. You talk about the opportunity to just go hit a golf ball. Uh, I go back... Uh, to your years with the New York Rangers, uh, you came into Rexall Place. Uh, we sat down and talked for, I want to say, half an hour, and you talked back then about how the hockey rink was a bit of a refuge for you, how when the puck dropped, you were a hockey player, and that was a little bit of a, an escape. Now, Theo, uh, you know, this was before you'd written uh playing with fire before you came out and talked all about the uh, years of abuse you suffered at the hands of Graham James. Sheldon Kennedy had talked about what was going on with him. I remember leaving you at the rink that day. You had a hockey game to concentrate on. I was worried about you. I'd followed your career since junior. I knew something uh, was terribly wrong and you'd mentioned that as a refuge. You zip ahead a few years, Theo, as part of the journey that got us to where we are today. Uh, I read the one statement you made about sitting there uh, with a gun in your mouth and that it wasn't so much that you wanted to die, it was that you were tired of living in so much pain. Talk about that moment with us, will you, please? Well, geez. That's, that's like a loaded question. So there's lots of different ways I can go with my answer. But first and foremost, I think that because we attach so much shame to addiction, okay? Yep. And addiction, and addiction is only a symptom of trauma, okay? And so those of us who experience trauma in our childhood – and my trauma even goes further back than the abuse. You know, I grew up in a home where both my parents experienced addictions. And so I watched, uh, you know, my parents' addictions fight with each other almost on a daily basis. So that was, you know, my first tra- traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, because, you know, when I entered the substance behavior and behavioral program, you know, everybody only focused on the substance and not, the behavior, right? Yeah. And there's, there's always a reason for somebody's behavior. And that behavior is a learned behavior from childhood. So everybody, everybody, I think thinks that it was my addiction that took me out of the game. No, it wasn't that at all. It was the unmanageability of my mental health issues, anxiety, panic disorder, and depression I could no longer manage those. And so I used addiction to cope with, you know, the emotional pain and suffering that, that was left behind from those experiences, which then manifested itself into mental health issues. And so it was my mental health issues that took me out of the game because back in 2000, if you went to uh, an NHL team and said, Hey, you know, I have panic disorder what would they have done with that? They probably wouldn't have handled it very well. Right. And so, you know, it's taken me 
whatever it is, 15 years since the gun incident to unpack all of my trauma history and figure out that uh, I had severe mental health issues that were left unmanaged. And, you know, the result of that was Theo Fleury imploding in front of uh, everybody's eyes. Well, uh, well described and well answered, I got to tell you. You and I traveled the buses a long time in the Western Hockey League. And that's kind of your sanctuary in some respects, but it, you know, it is what it is. But through all of that, and I remember reading the book by a pool in Phoenix, and I texted you as soon as I was done apologizing that I wish I could have helped you more. And you sent me back a response. I still remember, no problem, bro, moving forward. Now that book, there were experiences that came out of the release of that book. Book signings could not have been easy for you. Well, I would say <clears throat> the first book signing actually changed my life and changed my direction in how I viewed my own personal situation. So when I sat down to write the book, the only thing I was going to talk about was my hockey career. And the lady that I wrote the book with, she made me feel you know, relatively safe right from the very be- uh, beginning of writing the book. And so... Three years later, we finished the book and, and uh, you know, I tell the whole entire story. Four days before I'm going to Toronto to launch this book, like I'm shitting in my pants and I'm like yeah. so afraid and so scared because I don't know how, you know, the public's going to react to what's in the book. And I also knew that I was going to be going to do a whole bunch of media surrounding the book. And I knew that the only thing that the media would be interested in would be to re-victimize me at every opportunity, right? Because I'm a pretty smart and bright guy. I uh, spent four days on my computer researching absolutely every single thing I could find on the subject of child sexual abuse. Because I wanted to get a story of hope and healing and recovery you know, out to the masses. So sure enough, I, I show up in Toronto. I do like 300 interviews in the first four days. I'm there. I'm on big red couch with Strombo, TSN, Sportsnet, every major newspaper, magazine, morning radio show. I do it all. And sure enough, the only thing they're interested in is the gory details of my sexual abuse. But like a good politician, you never have to answer the reporter's questions directly. So it didn't matter what question they asked me, I made sure that I had five main points that I wanted to get across in every single interview that I did. And so I got this story of hope and healing and recovery out there. And then, you know, the next thing on the docket was the first book signing. And uh, my expectations for the book were really low. I thought I'd show up and sign 10 books and go to the next town and sign 10 books and so on and so forth. So I show up at the biggest Indigo chapter store in all of Canada, downtown Toronto, uh, right on Young Street there. And I walk through the front doors of the bookstore and there are 400 people standing in line with my book. And I'm like, geez, like, what are all these people doing here? This is very weird and strange, you know? (laughs) And so I start signing books and I spot this guy in line. And he's got my book clutched against his chest and his face is buried in the floor. And, you know, he was uh, visibly disheveled. He was wearing 
you know, dirty sweatpants, a ripped T-shirt. His hair was fairly greasy. And I was like, hmm, you know, I wonder what's up with this guy. So I follow him all the way in the line. He gets to the front of the line, puts the book on the table, looks me in the eye and says, me too. Wow. And, <sighs> and that's basically, you know, was like an exclamation point as to, you know, why I put all this on paper. And then what happened after that is I got completely run over by people everywhere I went, five, 10, 15, 20 people were coming up to every, uh, at every book signing and saying, Hey, I, I read your book. You told my story. Me too. Or, Hey, I saw your documentary. You told my story. Me too. Hey, I read uh, an article in the newspaper. You told my story. Me too. And so basically for the last, 10 and a half, 11 years, you know, that's, that's been my life is, you know, everywhere I go, you know, people come up to me and say, Hey, I, uh, I found the courage and the strength to find my own voice by, you know, by your example. And, and so, you know, it's just been absolutely incredible to be that sort of conduit for people to, you know, seek me out or search me out to find me so that they can tell me their me too story. You know, Theo, with, with all you'd been through leading up to that and the anxiety you had, I mean, just writing a book and telling your story, uh, as a difficult thing, that moment, um, that's gotta be, that, that's a swing point in your life that to me, that would feel very empowering and maybe help you set that focus on what you needed to do the rest of the way, huh? Yeah, like almost in an instant, I forgot about being a hockey player and, and realized, wow, there was a reason for all the struggle and all the pain and all the suffering, and, and this is it, right? Yeah. You know, because I could never make sense of, you know, being raped 150 times by my coach. I could never make sense. Why did it happen to me? And finally, you know, that guy showed up at the book signing and said, this is the reason, right? And and with that reason came purpose. And, and you know, uh, I had a new reason to get out of bed every day instead of, you know, laying in my bed depressed and anxious and, and wondering how I'm going to, you know, get through the next five minutes. And uh, it's been all those people who have provided that inspiration for me to, you know, overcome you know, my mental health issues, uh, to, you know, return the favor and help, and help other people because helping is healing. And, you know, you know, you look at the state of the world of where we're at and, you know, it's just a bunch of angry people who are lashing out against one another because you don't believe what they believe or vice versa, whatever it is. And that's trauma. That's a trauma response, right? Is And so what is the biggest epidemic on the planet? Trauma, mental health, and addiction, because they all go hand in hand and they all live in the same house. And so for me, you know, it's, it's making myself available so that people who have and carry the story, which is not a minority group, it's the majority of people who, uh, you know, share some sort of trauma history and uh it allows them to use their voice 
And when you use your voice, it's no longer hidden. It's no longer a secret. It no longer, you know, you put it back out into the universe and, and, uh, you know, you can go on and, and, uh, and help other people who carry this story. You need to be able to talk about this. You need to be able to say this happened to me and there needs to be people like you, uh, who are willing to listen and willing to help them navigate what are unimaginably difficult waters. Uh, I thank God that, uh, uh, you know, I haven't had to survive that kind of trauma, but there was a time when we didn't talk about this and you got to talk about it, don't you? I've often wondered, do you not get tired of hearing this? And if it wasn't for your support unit, you've got great family and, and, and that type of thing. This is, this is, I, I just wonder how do you turn it off a little bit? Can you? Well, I've learned, uh, self-care. Okay. Right? I, I do I do things for myself, right? You know, and golf is is the one thing that actually keeps me sane. You know, um, <laughs> for uh, a lot of people, I that's plan. not the case. Though, <laughs> what's no, your handicap? I'm a scratch. I'm a zero. Ooh, wow! Well, yeah. 90, 90 rounds in a year will do that. Wow! Yeah, that, that... Um, and I'm I'm actually planning on playing a lot more hockey this winter because I struggle probably the most in the wintertime because I can't golf. So I'll be doing a lot more of that. I'm, I'm actually uh, working on my physical uh, being now because I neglected it for so long because I worked on, you know, the mind and the soul stuff, yeah. you know, the spirituality and, you know, obviously getting through all and trying to figure out, you know, why did this happen to me? And I, I neglected my, you know, my physical being. And, and so over the last probably five years, you know, my physical being is, you know, screaming at me because of the sport that I played, you know, and I didn't play the sport, uh, you know, with uh, a dozen eggs in my uh, hockey pants. You know? uh, no, played, you did not. You know, a very <laughs> physical sort of robust style. And so. You know, I have a lot of neck and, and back problems and arthritis and all that. But, uh, you know, so I've, I've really sort of put a focus and an onus on uh, on the physical part, which means, you know, more exercising and, and that kind of stuff. Because, you know, when we look at a full recovery, those three things, body, mind, and spirit, that have to live in, in harmony and unison in order for us to sort of have peace, happiness, and and joy in our lives, in our lives, and that ultimately is the end goal. That's good, Theo. Uh, get back on the ice. I remember uh, messaging you a year or so ago and asking if you were interested in coming up and playing in a tournament here. And your response was pretty simple at that point. I think you texted me, uh, "I don't play anymore." So that sounds <laughs> odd to me when I think of Theron Flurry. Yeah, uh, I always thought you belonged on the ice. Uh, I don't care what the media guide said at five foot nine, you were five foot six inches of uh, uh, mean as hell and tough as nails, uh, navigating some pretty uh, insane waters back the way the game was played when you broke in. And for you to say, uh, I don't play anymore, my, my heart sunk a little, so I'm glad to hear you. Maybe we'll get you back on the blades. And, you know, I had to work through all that resentment I had with the game as yeah. well, you know, and, uh, um, but, uh, you know, what I realized is that, uh, you know, first and foremost, that was my 
besides, you know, my wife and kids uh, and family, um, you know, that was basically, you know, my second love and, and, uh, and for me to sort of neglect myself of that uh, joy and, and happiness that I feel and freedom when I feel in the ice was kind of, um, you know, I had to work through that stuff. Got to ask you a couple of quick hit things here. For example, Andrew Luck just walked away from the game of football suddenly and shockingly on the weekend. You take a look at that, and do you understand that? Totally. Totally. What I've gone through physically in the last five years, you know, I, I think about, you know, was it was it worth it? Uh, was the fame and the money and, and everything uh, worth it? as opposed to, you know, the quality of my life after the game, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I've, I've uh, often had that debate with myself, uh, you know, in quiet times as to, you know, or, you know, going to chiropractors and acupuncture and seeing all these specialists and doctors, you know, post-career, you know, you go, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it or not, you know, so... Theo, on on that subject, and I get it that these days we have more information about, you know, uh, head injuries and so on and so forth, and guys are paid well to play the game. Do you think the NHL and sports in general do a good enough job of looking out for their players, or are they product to be used and uh, cast aside when they're no longer useful? I would say... I don't really like to talk. I don't like to lump one particular thing into one category. I think in general, greed is, is not a good thing. What was the NHL worth in 1989 when I started? Like, was it worth a billion dollars as a, as an entity? You know, yeah. I don't think it was. I think it was a losing entity. And you know, now it's what a three and a half, four billion dollar industry. So, uh, it is definitely a lot more of a business now. And, you know, watching a team like the Edmonton Oilers struggle, you know, over the last few years, you, you got to think, you know, you have 23 businesses because you have 23 players on your roster. You have 23 businesses within the big business, right? All these kids come to the draft with a nutritionist, uh, an agent, a financial guy, you know, all that stuff. And so those are the people that are talking to, you know, these kids and these particular people don't care about the Edmonton Oilers. They care about getting their fees and they care about, you know, continuing to get paid. And so, you know, the onus on, on winning is, is not there anymore. You know, it's like, it's about, you know, how can I stay injury free so that all these people on my payroll, I can continue to pay them. The team part completely gets left out of it. And we vented about uh, about the Andrew Luck situation where he, he, he made a health decision over a business decision and yet fans are cracking back on him and it just doesn't seem fair to me. Well, unless you actually uh, have physically gone through what Andrew Luck has gone through, right? Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't comment, right? Is, is, is the quality of my paycheck more important than the quality of the rest of my life? What's the rest of my life going to look like? Yeah. Am I going to be in pain all the time? Am I going to, you know, 
and he suffered a lot of major injuries already in his career. And I can tell you how hard that is to come back from, you know, any type of uh, injury or setback, you know, and, and for him to still perform at an elite level, I can see where, you know, he is totally and completely burnt out from, you know, fighting physical pain, emotional pain, you know, uh, all that stuff. I, I can totally see where you just go, you know what? <laughs> I can't do this anymore. And, and I was at the same position. I had one year left at $4 million with the Chicago Blackhawks. And halfway through uh, that summer of training, I turned off the, the, uh, the treadmill and I was like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't fun. And so I left the game and I didn't even call the Blackhawks. Didn't even call my agent, tell them that I wasn't coming to training camp or even showing up for the season. I just left the game because I, I had enough. I was done. Yeah. And I often say to people that when Renee Faso put that gold medal around my neck in Salt Lake city, I should have just called the press press conference and said, you know what? See you guys. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for the memories. Yeah. Hey, listen, um, uh, I don't expect you to toot your own horn here, but uh, I was tweeting uh, not long ago on this last Hockey Hall of Fame ballot. I think on on-ice results alone, uh, forget the fact you were half the size of everybody you were playing against, uh, I thought you, I think you belong in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Does that matter to you? Where Where do you stand on the Hockey Hall of Fame? In my own mind, I'm already there, so... That's all that matters. I think that uh, if you asked my peers who I played against in the NHL, I think if you took a poll of Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and the guys that I played against, you know, I would I would say it would be unanimous choice. That's but, good enough uh, for you, is what you're saying, right? Absolutely. You know, um, and you know, I always say the work's the work's been done. Right. Yeah. You know, I can't go, I can't go back and I can't win another Stanley cup and I can't turn that 80 point season into a hundred point season. You know, the work is done. You know, I've always been a guy that speaks my mind and I wear my heart on the sleeve. Yes, on my you do. yes and, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> maybe I might've pissed off some, some people who were on the committee, but you know, I'm not going to change who I've always been in order to fit into a box. All I know is that each and every day I'm saving lives, like literally saving lives, taking the gun out of people's mouth and undoing the noose that they're going to hang themselves with or, you know, overdose on, you know, prescription medication. I know that, uh, you know, what I'm doing behind the scenes that doesn't get accolades or, you know, nor do I want them. Yep. But I know that I'm saving, I'm saving lives every single day. And to me there, I would give back, you know, all of my uh, achievements in hockey to be able to do, you know, what I'm doing today, because saving a life is essentially what we're, which, what we should all be doing. That's a, that's a different Hall of Fame. Hey, I, I got to ask you this before we let you go, and we thank you for your time, as always. This year, I'm going to the World Junior Hockey Championship in the Czech Republic, and I'm looking very much forward to it. The <laughs> location where we are staying is about a two-hour drive from Piastani, 
And for some awesome. bu- <laughs> and for some bizarre reason, and maybe you can help me with this one, I am compelled to want to go and visit an arena that could be dark by the time I get there. What is it about right. that? What is it about the punch up that has been so special? It's just it's living on forever. I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah, you know, it's just it was just one of those incidents that that happened that was out of control. I think all the uh, you know all the factors uh, in the moment. You know, the Russians had no chance of finishing higher than sixth. We had a chance to win a gold medal. I, I recall the Czechs and the Russians playing to a zero zero tie one time, so the Canada couldn't win a medal. Yeah, but, you know, and you got a bunch of eighteen and nineteen year old kids who you know are you know playing in the biggest game of their lives and uh right from the drop of the puck it was you know it was chippy uh it was a good game i watched it there and that it was it was it was a highly competitive game it just got kind of crazy there in the second period but as you know bryn brawls and line brawls were happening every night in the western hockey absolutely or the Quebec League, so yeah. the Russian guy jumped off the bench, and we we knew what to do after that happened. Well, who was on the ice with you? I know Keener, Mike Keen was there. Who else? Do you Edward remember Santa Pass? <laughs> okay, <laughs> Everett, uh, Steve, Steve Chase on. Wow. Okay. And uh, I can't remember who the other defenseman was. Might have been Hoggid. Hoggy. So you <laughs> might might not have been the smallest guy on the ice. <laughs> No, Hoggy still had a an inch or two on me. Okay. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So am I yeah. wasting my time going there? Yeah, because you know what happened the following year was, you know, we went into the Moscow Soviet Union when it was it was you know the wall was still up. Yeah. And, and uh, you know the Russians had a line of Fedorov, McGilney, and Bure that year. And uh, we went into the same rink that Paul Henderson scored the goal in 1972, and we beat the Russians right in their backyard, and yep. you know stole the stole the gold medal from them. So, and nobody talks about that. So they only talk about the brawl. So, yeah. and I believe at that time we had only won two gold medals. Yes, at the World Juniors. Yeah, and that was the third. That was the third one. So, yeah, and. Joe Sasek was our fourth line centerman on that team. Wow. Imagine, eh? <laughs> yeah, I know. Fourth line center, Joe nobody Sakic. Talk, nobody talks about that. They just want to talk about this brawl. I know. Have, so. It's 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 crazy yeah. how it's lived on. Don Cherry came to your rescue though on television here, that's for sure. It was awesome. One last one for me. Um just uh, this past weekend uh in St. Albert, uh they renamed Aikensdale Arena Jerome Aginla Arena. You were there when he broke in uh, as a raw kid. Uh, that just tells you how much time has passed, eh? I know it's been uh, it's been amazing to watch Iggy, uh, you know, evolve into this superstar, and not only a superstar on the ice, but a superstar off the ice. You know, and uh, it, uh, it's been great to see uh, that uh, he's getting. You know all the recognition that uh, that he absolutely one hundred percent deserves. Well, Theo, I tell you what, we uh, we are very grateful for the time you've given us uh, today. And before we let you go, um, I won't speak for Bryn, but I think I can speak for myself. Um, I think we are blessed to have people out there 
doing what you're doing. Uh, we're in a new era now where, where people need help and uh, that this has become your life's calling uh, is not only uh, something important for everybody out there that you affect, but uh, for people who've known you, uh, it feels good to know that you've got this calling now and uh, that you're walking into the future instead of looking back at the past. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, uh, I'm certainly blessed and, uh, you know, I, I think, I think everybody has a purpose in their life and, and, uh, you know, because of the, you know, because of what we experience, uh, you know, we, we sometimes don't get to, you know, what our true purpose is or our true calling is because we're always living in pain and suffering and, and, you know, trying to manage that. But, uh, you know, like I said, I feel blessed that, that that guy came up to me at that book signing and said, hey, this is what the rest of your life is going to look like. And and uh, and he was he was bang on. And, uh, you know, like I said, I haven't stopped in, you know, almost 11 years. And, uh, you know, we got a full schedule here uh, starting at the beginning of September. And we go till basically the end of May. And, uh, yeah, so like I said, it's been incredible. And. You know, Bryn, you know, those those uh, those those few years we had in Musha were a lot of fun. And, <laughs> yeah, they uh, were. You know, enjoyed, uh, you know, enjoyed working with you and, uh, you know, being a part of your life. Thanks, man. I appreciate your time. Robin appreciates your time. Everybody appreciates your time. And we'll talk during the hockey season where we can talk a lot about hockey, okay? Sounds good. All right, man. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Theo. Pleasure, guys. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Fresh air and fun. Experience it all this summer in a new RV from Carefree RV. Trade up to the perfect bunk model from reputable brands like Winnebago at Forest River. So many floor plans and payments starting at just $53 bi-weekly. Plus, one free year of CoachNet warranty on all RVs. Carefree RV. Open seven days a week in Edmonton and Leduc. Online, carefreerv.ca. Joining us now from the Winnipeg Free Press is Mike McIntyre. Winnipeg, the city of Winnipeg, I felt, were thrown under the bus with that NFL debacle last week. But Mike is certainly closer to the situation, wrote a great article in the Free Press. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm very well, guys. Thanks. Where do you even want to start with this? What a <laughs> mess, huh? Let's start with the 80-yard field. Uh, I mean, I, I think coming into the game, a lot of people expected this was not um, – it was not going to come or deliver as it had been advertised uh, for a number of reasons, but the the sort of cherry on the Sunday, I suppose, was the last minute decision to cut the field down from uh, the NFL standard of 100 yards to 80 yards. Because I mean, who knows? It, it, the explanation that's been offered uh, is is certainly lacking. Um, they had obviously had to move the CFL goalposts uh, to shorten the field. And I guess last minute kind of concern arose uh, specifically from the Green Bay Packers that there was uh, divots or, as some have joked, potholes in the end zone. <laughs> um, Winnipeg, of course, our streets are, are known uh, notoriously for, for their potholes. And apparently our football fields have them as well. But 
Yeah, and I mean, that just kind of snowballed, right? The Green Bay Packers then announced like 33 scratches, including all of their big stars, Aaron Rodgers. And I mean, for the poor folks that had bought tickets at full price, one of the things they had been promised was that this was a week three preseason game, which meant all the stars were going to come out. Uh, while none of the stars came out, they got to watch, you know, second stringer, third stringer, four stringers, players that are going to be on CFL rosters in a year or two from now. Um, and as I wrote, I mean, I think anybody who paid money to go to this event has a right to feel like they got ripped off. Well, Mike, they, they essentially accomplished the trifecta of how to screw <laughs> things up. Uh, have a field that doesn't work, charge asinine ticket prices, and then give you a grade C product by having no starters on the field. The thing is, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers shouldn't wear this. Uh, this debacle, if I'm not mistaken, falls at the feet of the promoter, does it not? Yeah, it sure does. On Ice Entertainment, which is a, a Toronto-based promoter that give, just by their name alone, kind of suggests they're they're more akin to doing hockey promotions. And, um, you know, this obviously was bungled from the start. I mean, even the, the things you just listed, there's others as well. They promised that there was going to be a multi-day sort of football festival surrounding this whole thing. The promoter specifically said, uh, it's not like we just fly in and fly out. Well, that's exactly what ended up happening. There was no <laughs> festival. There was no fan-friendly activities. There was, there was no practice the day before. There wasn't even a media availability the morning of the game. Like, this was get in, get out as quickly and as quietly as possible. And, you know, then another big screw-up here, guys, was they obviously overpriced the tickets, you know, upwards of $400-plus for a lot of the seats for an NFL exhibition game and you look around the, the NFL, I mean, you can get tickets for like $12 for NFL exhibition games, including by the way, just six and a half hours South of Winnipeg in the twin cities. Um, so I don't think that that was going to be a, a, a really easy way to appeal to the market here in Winnipeg. And then they said ticket prices were not going to be discounted. Well, two weeks before the game, they like slashed 6,000 seats, you know, half price. And a bunch of people who had paid full ticket prices right off the hop, well, now they're upset, of course, because had they just waited, they could have got their tickets for half the price. And the promoter actually said that Ticketmaster would handle the refunds. Well, Ticketmaster told those people, sorry, you're out of luck, no huh. refunds. So, I mean, not only did they screw everything up, they even alienated the most loyal supporters, the people that jumped in from day one. They even got them upset. Mike McIntyre from the Winnipeg Free Press joining us here on The Outsiders as we talk a little bit about what happened in Winnipeg. I'll tell you what, you know, here's the thing that I hate about this is Winnipeg's wearing this. And really, this is not, what are you going to do? Who's going to go and watch a preseason anything? let alone yeah. an NFL one at those prices. Yeah, you're now playing an 80-yard field, but it just it doesn't make any sense to me, and it just seems so horribly unfair that Winnipeg is looking bad, let alone the fact that you're in the province of Alberta. <laughs> well, yes, and, and as I wrote, I mean, who would have thought that one of the, uh, the Oakland players stepping off the plane uh, wearing a T-shirt that said Winnipeg, Alberta, 
would actually be way down the list of sort of embarrassments surrounding this whole <laughs> this whole debacle. Like that that doesn't even make my top five list, although it is quite uh, quite funny and has led to a lot of you know good jokes and whatnot. But yeah, you're right. Winnipeg is wearing this. The Bombers are wearing this. I mean, the Bombers had nothing to do with this other than you know renting out their stadium like a like a landlord would. Um, you know, if if you had a concert. And the the lights and the sound and and the quality of the the music sucked. Well, you wouldn't blame the bombers or the city of Winnipeg for that. Um, so I don't think you should in this case because they really had nothing to do with it other than sort of letting them borrow their their space. And I mean, I think it's a good thing for the bombers that they weren't on the financial hook for this in any way, shape, or form. They got paid. They got their money for leasing out the stadium. Uh, if anybody takes a financial bath, it's going to be the promoter and Oakland, uh, who were the home team in this game. Um, but I mean, Oakland is a bit of an unusual situation anyways, right guys? Like they, they're kind of a, a yeah. lame duck franchise this year. I think they're playing a regular season game in Mexico. So, I mean, they probably wouldn't have drawn flies even in their own stadium for this game. Uh, so maybe by taking the show on the road, as it were, um, I don't know. They, they may actually make some money out of this. I think it's probably the promoter more than anything. They announced just just south of twenty two thousand fans. Will be. I was there, guys. There's no way there were twenty two thousand people <laughs> in that stadium. Yeah. I was gonna guess something like seventeen, eighteen, and even then, it's hard to say how many of those were giveaways. I'll tell you this: like five days before the game, you could go on Ticketmaster and see a seat map. And there's little blue dots representing all the available seats. I'm not kidding when I say half the stadium was was uh, you know, covered in blue dots, which just tells you, you know, that they maybe only had 15 or 16,000 sold up until just a few days before. Now, all of a sudden, they get to 22,000. Like I said, the promoter won't say anything about how they got to that number or how many were giveaways. In fact, the promoter won't really say anything at all. That's been one of the other things about all this kind of gone into hiding, kind of disappeared and and lashed out when people would criticize, even tried to revoke the credentials of another Winnipeg writer on the morning of the game, which led to a big fight with the NFL. Yeah, I tell you, Mike, when, when the highlight of the whole event is Aaron Rodgers uh, showing up and modeling the uh, stash and the Canadian tuxedo, <laughs> Uh, which got a lot of play uh, on social media, you know you're in trouble. I tell you what, I know there's a hunger for the NFL in this country, but if you're not going to do it right, just don't yeah. do it at all, huh? How about the bolo tie that Aaron Rodgers was wearing? That was Pretty, a nice uh, one, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what, guys, the highlight of the game for me, and I think most fans would agree, was in the fourth quarter when the however many thousand in the crowd uh, did one of the greatest uh, stadium waves I've ever seen in my life. Like this thing went on forever, I guess because everybody was bored out of their mind and wanted to at least get something out of the experience. It was like a hell of a wave. Like it went like at least a dozen rotations around the stadium uh, and the fans were going crazy. They weren't cheering anything else that they saw on the field that night. Uh, but that was probably the, the most exciting uh, moment for sure. I mean, I'll say this. At least the game was somewhat competitive. I mean, again, both teams played their, their third and fourth stringers, but it was a one-point game. 
decided on a last minute field goal. The only thing that would have made this worse was if it had been, you know, a complete route or I suppose if locusts had descended on the stadium or something, <laughs> which we were almost expecting to happen at that point, given all that had gone wrong. Was the rum hut at least open? The rum hut was open. I, I honestly <laughs> thought I'd see more people lined up for refunds uh, than, than uh, you know, lined up at the rum hut. But I, I suppose some people could drown their, their sorrows over there. I'm not kidding when I say that it would not shock me if we don't see some lawsuits coming out of all of this. Wow. Maybe because we're in Canada, we're not nearly as litigious. Maybe that won't happen. Uh, but I could see all kinds of finger pointing going on here, you know, from the field. I mean, this is the big question about the field, guys. Everybody apparently signed off on it on Wednesday night. The NFL, the NFLPA. Then all of a sudden, two hours before the game, there's concerns. Nothing changed. Like, th this wasn't like the the skies opened up and we got a, a torrential downpour that changed the condition. Nothing changed. So how did this come to a, a last minute thing where there was some real talk about whether the game itself was just going to be canceled if the green Bay refused to even play on the surface. The result of course was let's just play with an 80 yard field and mark the end zone at the 10 yard line with an orange pylon. As I wrote in my piece, I mean, they, at that point they might as well have trotted out, the clown's mouth and the windmill, uh, you know, just to, <laughs> just to, just to kind of really complete the whole scene. But the NFL in Canada have not exactly had a great relationship. You go back to, I think it had been six years since they were last here, and there was that that time they were regular bringing the Buffalo Bills to Toronto. Right. And as that experiment went on, it 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 got uglier and uglier. I mean, the fans weren't coming out. The ticket prices were ridiculous. People were seeing it as a cash grab. Obviously, they tried again now in a different market. And don't forget, guys, Winnipeg wasn't the first choice for this. Edmonton no. and Regina were were believed to be sort of the front runners. Uh, they couldn't work out uh, because of their stadium availability and whatnot. And and I guess they should be thanking their lucky stars for that. I don't think we're going to see the NFL around here anytime soon. Um, you know, it's a case of sort of good riddance, I think, to all of it. Well, Mike, thanks to Winnipeg for taking the bullet on behalf of Regina <laughs> and Edmonton. Hey, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. And I know that uh, you got a lot of work coming up. You're the beat reporter for the Free Press with the Winnipeg Jets, and we'll check in with you during the hockey season, okay? Yeah, it should be, uh, I guess, just like in Edmonton, a lot of Canadian markets should be a really interesting season ahead for the Jets. So you bet we'll, uh, we'll touch base during the season. Thanks, thanks Mike. Mike. Take care. Wow, uh, crazy show today. Theo Fleury joined us and, uh, as always, brought it. And also Mike McIntyre a couple seconds ago with the Winnipeg Free Press was uh, quite entertaining. Looking forward to talking to him during the hockey season. Okay, let's talk. Let's, let's do some house cleaning stuff. First things first to it when we were chatting with Theron, you want to pass along how people can get a hold of him if they're looking for help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what Theo does now. And for those who aren't aware, uh, because he's all over the place all the time, uh, you can uh, connect with Theo at theoflurry.life, uh, L-I-F-E, theoflurry.life. I mean, you can book him as a speaker. Uh, you can contact him. He does coaching. He does motivational talks. If you want to get uh, the little big man for any event or because you've got something to talk about, 
theoflurry.life. And Theo was Theo today, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, nothing. didn't expect anything less. No, I was not shocked or surprised in any manner, that's for sure. We touched on briefly, Jerome McGinley had himself a big weekend in St. Albert. You know, it's interesting, and, and we touched on it with Theo. Time flies. I mean, I remember him as a kid. I mean, uh, when I covered junior hockey in Kamloops, that was years and years before Jerome Aginla, uh even went to the Kamloops Blazers and uh, the Blazers went and won some Memorial Cups. But, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the one thing people say about Jerome is, and it's a cliche, but he's one of the good guys. I tell you what, uh, words are words, but uh, I recall... Uh, and I was I thought of it when they were renaming the arena uh, from Aikensdale Arena to Jerome McGinley Arena. I was uh, outside the Saddle Dome in Calgary one day. Uh, I'd had to write. Uh, the bus was gone. No big deal. You call a taxi. Out walks Jerome McGinley with his then fiance, now wife Kara. Uh, Jerome's driving one of those hot little uh, Porsche Carreras. <laughs> he says, "Hey, Robin, what's going on?" I said, "Ah, oh, just waiting for." Uh, a taxi. He says, you want to ride back to the hotel? And he's sort of like getting ready to shuffle the stuff around in the, uh, <laughs> in the car. And I'm thinking two seater Porsche Carrera, large sports rider, not going to work. And it's funny, just as he was sort of swinging open the door, uh, the taxi pulled up and I didn't need the ride, but that's with no one around. That's off the record. That's just Jerome being Jerome. So an honor like this, now that he's retired, he is one of those guys who as good as he was on the ice, uh, uh, as good or better person off it. I think he, he was a better guy off the ice, actually, yeah. but that's just me. Okay, uh, we've got to touch on a couple other quick things. We have NHL training camps opening up here very quickly. We'll be all over that. Also, the Labor Day Classic in Edmonton. and Sorry, it's in Calgary. Between the Edmonton Eskimos and the Calgary Stampeders, we'll be talking about it as well. We launch traditionally on Mondays. It'll be Labor Day on a Monday. We're not launching that particular day. We will launch the following day, and we'll be able to talk about training camps coming up and also what happened not only between the Eskimos and the Stampeders in a rather sizable game, but the Bombers and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Big weekend in the west of the CFL, so lots of other stuff going on. Are you okay? Did you survive? Oh, I'm fine. Like I said last Ooh. time, pal, I'll be back. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a blast today. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. It is the Outsiders. And you can, of course, get a hold of us. Drop us an email at mightymouth at shaw.ca. You okay over there? What are you whispering about? Well, let's, uh, and you know what? If you like what you hear, uh, subscribe and get us all the time. Absolutely. I'm with you on that, too. Thanks, Robin. We'll talk to you next week. You betcha. All right. Recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.